Okay, half the day. Welcome back to the Guam Guy Show. Uh, still here with Chris Rosario for, uh, I guess, a two-part episode, or just we'll just call it two episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time we try to kind of split it between little fire ants, bees, hornets, and wasps. But little firemen just little fire ants had just so much to it. It just turned into its own own episode by itself. And so I've been very patiently, or he's been very patiently waiting to talk about bees. So we're, let's just jump right into it. Um, I think that was kind of our our first interaction. Eh, Chris was. Uh, I think I'd seen we'd met at a charter day at University of Guam one time for something or another, and then I started making videos on social media on my Instagram, and then one day I was just driving around, and I'm all like, I want to do a video on bees. That's right. <laughs> and so I think I, I I don't know if I found your number or messaged you or whatever. I just called you up. I'm like, hey, um, can uh can I do a video on bees? And you're like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm all like, hey, yeah. So like, I think my idea was like, you know. We could go to a beehive, but I think it would be cool, like, if someone had like some bees on their property or whatever by accident, and they didn't want them, like, and if you were gonna, you know, if there was an opportunity to uh, to for you to visit them and and take the bees and and the honeycombs and whatever else you call it off their property, and you're like, um, yeah, we actually have that happening tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was cool, and it just happened all perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I get these calls every every week sometimes just every month but you know when you called he asked for bees and then you know i and i get these scheduled yeah bees were there it's just like it just all fell in place very very much well for you (laughs) so yeah (laughs) it it worked out perfectly for me no no doubt about it uh i'm gonna go ahead and play the video uh that was produced from that interaction from that random chance phone call perfect timing like yeah. stars aligned phone call and and turned into us going to was it called was it st john's school st john's it was yeah, st john's yeah. school up in uh, i guess upper tumon yeah. they had a bunch of uh um uh, bees in it looked like a storage area for like ceramic for clay ceramics, yeah. and yeah, uh I, i've got uh some video of that right here I should not be allowed to do this. I don't know how I got here. <laughs> I'm at St. John's School, and we're going to get us some honeybees. We carefully remove the individual honeycombs one at a time to be placed into trays for transportation off-site. And it's exactly <laughs> as weird as it looks to hold a honeycomb in your hands. We got our proper beekeeping safety gear, slips, and then my Zoris. <laughs> When the last honeycomb is removed and all are packed away, you can either vacuum all the bees into the box or let them come in overnight as they find their way back to the bee. I can feel the wind off of their wings. Yes. Oh, that's so trippy. <laughs> this is the queen, and this is the little box that she goes in. <laughs> I got a handful of bees. This is the man Chris Rosario from Guam Beekeepers Association. If you have some bees at your house, what do you want them to do? Call the pest hotline 475-PEST, Department of Agriculture, or any other beekeeper. Yeah, so that was a really cool day of my life. I, um, every once in a while, I'm like, I'm doing a thing or I'm in a place and I'm like, I don't know how I'm allowed to be here <laughs> or to do this. And that was one of those times. So that was really like, um, no hesitation. You, you, you got me a, a beekeeping suit to, to use for the, for the day. And, uh, that, that's still a cherished memory for me. Like I never imagined I could feel the wind off of the wings of bees. And when there's, yeah. an, there's enough of them, it's just kind of like a cooling in your face. Uh, you could probably do something like that when the power's out. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and the aircon's not working and the fans put up on you. a box next to your face. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why, like, so I know bees is a deep passion of yours just from our interaction yeah. before and I, I gotta ask how did you get started with bees well uh again it, it just it started it started based on the research the research at the university of guam mm-hmm. uh dr ross miller the research entomologist got a grant uh to do a a nationwide survey um although the survey started in 2000 nine mm-hmm. and then guam got into the survey uh, about four years later and then we had uh you know he got the grants he gave me a call and said hey um what do you what do you how do you feel about doing work on honeybees and at the time i didn't know even honeybees existed on guam although i didn't know we had honeybees mm-hmm. but i didn't know like anything else about bees and i said you know what let me just give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
quickly work turned into, you know, there was a lot of work involving trying to get a hold of beekeepers on Guam. I was like, okay, I, I'm pretty sure since we're doing the survey, we must have several beekeepers on Guam. And quite frankly, we only found only a handful of beekeepers. Mm -hmm. Only five, well, not even five beekeepers. Okay. I only knew of three. Oh. Um, and so the, the, the National Honeybee Survey called to do 24 different apiaries, which means 24 different beekeepers. What's an apiary? So an apiary is a group of bee a group of bee colonies in one location. Okay. So you can imagine like in, you know, in a, uh, in, in a farm, there'd be about five or six colonies just in that one particular location that would be considered an apiary. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, or like two or three colonies in someone's backyard, that would be an apiary. Mm -hmm. Um, but when we talk about large scale, you know, beekeeping, you're talking about like 20 to 40 colonies, even up to a hundred colonies in, in one single location. But of course that never really existed on Guam because we could never really get to large scale agriculture mm -hmm. at all in general. And so, um, so doing the survey back in 2013 was very difficult because we didn't have that many beekeepers on, mm -hmm. on island. So, but today, now we have about over a hundred beekeepers. What? Um, yeah. Over a hundred beekeepers 100 on beekeepers Guam? beekeepers now. Yeah. Wow. And that's due to... You? Uh, <laughs> well, I, can't, I can't take all the credit. I, I'm sure you're responsible for some of it. Yeah. I but know there was a, a guy, it, Rod was there Rod, that day at St. Yeah, John's. Rod so that was is, really cool. Rod Greeno from uh, Half Day Signs. Mm -hmm. We got Paul Packbeer from PCR, mm -hmm. um, PCR Environmental. We got Dennis uh, Larson. I, I, the list goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. My friend um, Timmy Toy. <laughs> that's right, Timmy Toy. I think you yeah. might have worked with another friend of mine uh, recently. Uh, yeah. Um, or maybe it was you're the second friend and you two met up. Maybe, never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people just <clears throat> quickly gone to it. And it's, it's very interesting because in, in 2013, right, uh, I was, uh, again, didn't know much about bees. I wasn't a beekeeper. I was just a... Um, just after uh, it was a uh, job it was a job for yeah. me to survey to go out and survey honeybees in uh, in the environment uh, uh, or in in someone's uh, you know in someone's apiary mm -hmm. so when we had uh, once once we got the grant money I quickly went out and said all right let's let's look for some beehives um, but it's not like you just kind of go out in the forest and then just search for bees. We basically had to um, get help from uh, the PDN, mm -hmm. so Guam PDN, um, Guam Daily Post, uh, and then of course University of Guam PR, the public relations. Um, we reached out to those people and say, hey, can you send out a message to the community uh, that we are, the University of Guam is conducting a study on the health of honeybees on Guam. Uh, and so quickly I did that, uh, we, 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 you know, we did the whole, there was a whole article in, in the newspaper. I can send you the first article. It's really, really cool because like looking back at the time, I was like, wow, what was I thinking? Like, you know, getting into, you know, getting into uh, like the bees and, and everything. So now you're a full on entomologist. It's your full time job. It's and it's also job, your passion. Yeah. You know, you raise bees and you help yep. others with your bees. And, uh, and so now you have all this kind of stuff going on. And before that, there was no insects on your radar. There was no insects on my radar. There's yep. nothing happening. Yep. I, so, so this is a really cool story. This is the kind of story you like to, you want to hear the kind of story you want to think like, uh, okay, I'm going to go to school. I don't know what I want to do yet, but maybe I'll find out, you know, yeah, while I'm it, in school or working with the university, whichever the case yeah. it is. So, um, it, and I, I got to say, I, I, uh, there's a, as of this recording, the there's a UOG celebrating its 70th anniversary, and they have the temporary exhibit at the Guam Museum. So it's going to be in there for, I guess, three months. It's it's August still right now, so the That's next right. few months. And there's a picture of you in there. I don't wow. know if you've seen it yet. 
I don't remember where it was. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, thing. but it, yeah, nice. it's it's uh, there's a, there's a picture of me too. It's but it's my back, so you can't even see my face. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know it's me because I think That's I'm right. the only shirtless person in the yeah, exhibit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. And, and so you can see a little bit about this guy. So that's that's a really cool thing where like education leads to uh, employment and it's actually Damn. something where you discovered a passion, you found right. a passion yeah. and then you get to keep it going. Yeah, well, when this when this kind of all started, I, I, I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to be a vet. Oh, okay. And so, um, yeah, so I went quickly went from, you know, uh, from cats and dogs to, to insects, you know, mm -hmm. very quickly. Um, and then again, it was all due to honeybees. Um, and a honeybee is just, is just, it's a very complex insect, very, very complex, more complex than any other type of insect. You know, I know we're talking, are you being, are you being, are you being real or are you being the bias? I, I, I'm being real. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> it, 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 Cause partially because of the social aspect, mm -hmm. the social aspect. And if, if you were to, if you were to get, let's say for instance, if you were to get the most uh, complex insect and study its behavior, you would almost definitely choose an insect that's very social, mm -hmm. that lives in what we call a colony. Mm -hmm. um, and in a colony of insects, I mean, even their brains are even more complex. Hmm. Um, uh, you talk about pollinators in general. And again, it's not just honeybees. I'm, t I'm talking about like, all types of bees um and and they're the the most diverse insect mm -hmm. uh, aside from beetles they're the, one of the most diverse insects in the world because they have co-evolved with the flowers yeah so you just said something there that like uh, kind of convinced me in the midway and it was it was i think you said the word pollen in there um yep so like if you find a praying mantis you find one praying mantis Right, and he eats things, and or you might find one female praying mantis eating another male praying mantis. Yeah. But at most, yeah. you're gonna find two praying mantises at a time. Yeah. With bees, at least you're gonna find dozens or hundreds or whatever, right? right? So that social aspect alone by itself, I guess that does make them a lot more complex. Uh, complex. I guess I could see ants or other kind of colony things, but also the word pollen is what. So you have them being complex by themselves and then you have being complex in the environment and the ecology and the food web and how things affect everything so because not not only do they interact with each other but they interact with the environment by I don't, I don't, do they make flowers flower or do they get stuff from flowers they get stuff from flowers they get, they get stuff get... from flowers okay. but in that process they help fertilize those flowers mm -hmm through pollination so again pollination is just essentially passing the the spores of you know basically pollen is the spore mm -hmm. in this in in the plant world uh, the spore is pollen and that pollen is then transferred to another flower which then fertilization occurs and then from that from that time now you, the fertilization goes from seed so it, it grows from the seed, basically. So pollen gets into the the stamen of the of the flower, and then I don't or, remember my seventh grade science that well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I always have to like okay. go back and be like, wait, wait, is this is this the right word? Uh -huh. Yeah. But anyways, the pollen is then transferred, fertilization occurs, and then you get a seed, a seed of something, mm -hmm. right? Um. And then from that seed, right, then you get the fruit. So, so there's a there's a a, a, a deeper layer uh, that the bees are involved in with. You know, when we talk about you know seed dispersal, we're talking about like you know we're talking looking looking at animal other vertebrates like birds, mm -hmm. um, you know, wild deer or, or you know, any any type of other animal that helps with seed dispersal. But how let do we even get to the seed? Let me, right? let me, yeah. So let yeah. me interrupt there. So how do seeds get spread, right? So, you know, let's say you eat some corn and then you can later on down the line, you see the corn, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so birds, uh, deer, pigs, whatever, they will eat um, fruits. Maybe sometimes the same fruits we eat, but in plant terms, a fruit is, is any kind of the thing that comes after the flower so whether humans eat it or not that is in scientific terms 
those are fruits as well. And so in those fruits contain seeds and then those seeds can go around and, and then be spread. And we have new plants, you know, um, going all over the place. That's right. If that was happening, we don't have birds here. Um, that's a slight exaggeration, uh, but only a yeah. slight exaggeration. Yeah. And so we have that one part of the food web where plants grow, they flower, they make fruits. And then the fruits have contain seeds and things eat those fruits containing the seeds and the seeds get pooped out around the island. And in the middle of that, there's pollination. That's right. Okay. Right, right in the right in the smack in the middle of that, there's the pollination. Because in order for you to get seed, you must be pollinated. Mm-hmm. That's that's the big one. Mm-hmm. In order for you to get seed, you because the seed is essentially the embryo of the flower. Mm-hmm. So um so yeah, pollen is the male gamete mm-hmm. and then within the, the sperm and egg the correct thing to say you can say well yeah i guess you yeah you say sperminate well sperm and egg it would be more so for like the you know uh the the animal kingdom all right so we have the the plant kingdom it's pollen okay and uh the i guess the bud okay the the buds are the you could say the the females okay um but once that pollen we gets need, into yeah, so there, so we need DNA from two sources, though. That's right. Okay, so we have two. Uh, all right, so you have DNA from two sources. Yep. And, and those bees are transferring that DNA from the males mm-hmm. into the females. And are they? Are they? I thought they're collecting pollen to presumably do something like this. That's right. Actually, in actuality, they are collecting pollen for themselves. Mm-hmm. So bees are herbivores, which mm-hmm. means they only get. Um, their food from plant material. Mm-hmm. They're herbivorous. Um, and so where do they get their protein? They get their protein from pollen. Mm-hmm. Pollen is packed with a good amount of protein. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about protein, we're also talking about like some fatty acids, um, uh, but uh, essentially protein in general. And protein is kind of like partially the building blocks in, 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 in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so the bees obtain the protein from pollen. Okay. Yeah. And so they're collecting the pollen, but you also said that they're mixing pollen. So are they? So is that by accident? They're they're not they they're collecting pollen, but some of they lose a little bit of a little bit of it as they're moving around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um so they have uh on the on the honeybee mm-hmm. the third pair of legs that they have. So the hind legs have what we call a pollen basket. Also, also known as a cubicula, um, but this pollen basket will hold a good amount of pollen, uh, like in a ball, um, and sometimes those pollen grains fall off of those that that pollen basket. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, honeybees, if you notice, they're very hairy as mm-hmm. well. If you were to go into the, if you were to look into the the bodily structure of, of a honeybee, you will see there's lots of hair. Um, and, it, and in other bees, there's lots of hair on the abdomen side, on the other side. But honeybees in general, overall, their overall hair is, oh, I'm sorry, their overall body is covered with hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know going back on the, on the question of uh, the function of, of the hair for some insects, because mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned, it's to transfer pollen. And mm. so, so pollen is, there is attract, uh, because hair, right? Hair and hair attracts something that's positive. So, uh, again, going back to a little bit of some chemistry, there's the positive and negative, right? Mm-hmm. The hair would attract the pollen easily mm-hmm. because of the, um, there's the electron positive so attraction. So it, it's it's basically yeah. things are are like really really low key kind of magnets. Is that fair? Yeah. 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 So it's the same thing, right? Just That's you right. have a, it's called like polarity. Polarity. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And yeah. so you a magnet has a positive side, positive pull, negative side, negative pull, and everything more or less has that. Some things are a bit more, and when you get down to the cellular level. Or the, right. or the microscopic level. level, atomic level. It's such yeah. a cool word. I, like, yeah, yeah. I don't get to say that very often. You get down <laughs> to the atomic level, things are basically behave, let's say, like miniature, tiny, tiny, tiny magnets. That's right. And so yep. you're saying part of the body is one charge, one, and then the stuff sticks to it like a magnet? That's right, yeah. And so that, <laughs> so that pollen gets carried through the hairs of the bee just 
<clears throat> for the bee that's foraging, not just for pollen, but also for nectar as well. Those are different things? So it's two different things. I have no idea what we're now. Okay, yeah. this is all new to me. So now, let's, let's so now we're diving into a different <laughs> aspect of how mm. bees forage. Mm -hmm. So bees forage for two things, right? We just discussed the pollen aspect. Now there's another aspect uh, that bees uh, forage for. It's called nectar. And nectar is then once the bee picks up this nectar, so the nectar is essentially just sugar mm -hmm. from the plant particle, uh, from the plant itself. Is this also in a flower? In the flower itself. Are yeah. they doing it at the same time, pollen and nectar? No. Okay. They do it separately. Okay. Yeah. Um, but some flowers give both pollen and nectar to bees. Some flowers only give nectar to bees and some other flowers only give pollen to bees. So, so there's a, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of overlap, but bees have learned to, to kind of know what to forage for at certain times of the year. Mm -hmm. So, um, so nectar is what gives us honey. Okay. So when the bees go to a flower, they, they, you know, go into the, the, part of the flower where they suck out the nectar and then uh that nectar is then is completely ingested by the bee okay but it's ingested so it's just swallowed it's just swallowed okay. but into a very specific stomach huh. it's called a honey stomach or a honey gut huh. we call it a honey gut i don't know why we call it that but it's called it's called a honey gut for a specific reason mm -hmm. so when that nectar goes into the honey gut that nectar is then uh, being uh, uh, it is being I'm, uh, I'm gonna jump word? ahead here is honey bee vomit yes <laughs> honey is bee vomit yes <laughs> but it's it's but it's really cool how it works it because really cool <laughs> it goes into the gut and there's an enzyme in that gut mm -hmm. that takes the water out of the nectar it's mm -hmm. called invertase. It's a, okay. an enzyme called invertase. Um, and so then the bee, uh, after its flight, so during its flight uh, back home, then the bee goes into the colony and regurgitates uh -huh. the nectar back up. And when we mean by regurgitate, I'm talking about vomit. Uh -huh. <laughs> and passes it on to the sister. And then does what we call the waggle dance, because the sister is like, "Hey, where did you get this really cool um, food source from?" Mm -hmm. And then the bee does its dance. It call it's a, basically a figure eight. Um, obviously, you won't be able to see that here because no, no, none of the bees are foraging. Mm -hmm. But what happens is that the bee will will do a figure eight, and will also vibrate itself. Mm -hmm. So depending on the angle of the figure eight, depends on the angle of the sun to the nectar source uh, of the of the colony itself. Say that again. Okay. So the Just angle. Just say it exactly the same. Okay. So the angle of the figure eight, uh -huh. depending on how fast the bee turns mm -hmm. to make that figure eight, depends on the angle of the colon of uh, the nectar source from the sun to the to the colony you get what i mean so there's a there's mm -hmm. a pythagorean theorem uh, uh -huh. that there, comes into okay, play yeah. so there there's just they're just making some angles so there's an angle yeah <clears throat> that's determined this is actually a, a formula for it but then also how fast the bee wiggles its abdomen uh -huh. depends on how close the nectar source is from the colony so this is bee communication. That is pure bee communication. So this is bee talking to each other saying it's over there and it's this close or this far. That's exactly that right. That is insane. I gotta, I'm just like, right. there's a scientist one day who's all like, yep. look, studying bee dancing. That, and his name is Carl von Frisch. <laughs> he, he is the, is a, he was a, um, a German scientist. Uh-huh. Uh, that, uh, what was it, German? I'm sorry, a, a Russian, I think. I Carl can't... von Frisch. Maybe German, I think. I, I always forget the... Von might be Dutch. Von Frisch, yeah. Von might be Dutch. Okay. Um, I'm not sure, you, but I think... You might be right. Uh -huh. But this scientist, he won the Nobel Prize uh -huh. for figuring out the waggle dance. The formula, the actual <laughs> formula for it. That... And, he, and, and this is all he had. He uh -huh. had an, observat uh, an observation hive, 
and uh, the there was an entry and exit and he would study individual bees that would do the waggle dance and then he would take him out and mark him and then try and track mm-hmm. those bees so that when they come back he would say well okay how close was that nectar source and they would go out and look look if if that was the specific marker where the bee was was uh was foraging from mm-hmm. and he so found out that that he found that formula and won the nobel prize for it crazy this, this reminds me of a, a meme i saw i don't know if this is true um maybe you actually know uh i saw this meme there was a uh someone there was an experiment where they wanted to see if ants could count and so they made like prosthetic legs to extend the legs of the uh to make the legs longer of individual ants and then put them on and then see if they would trace their way back home and they would take the same number of steps but travel a longer distance and so thereby somehow that proved that would bees would take longer steps and i remember the meme was concluding like guys there's somebody out there whose job it is to make bee uh, ant prosthetics <laughs> and to attach them and so on and so yep. like science can just be so fun that is just that's just crazy you yeah. know you just you just get to like i mean there's all kinds of sciences there's different fields and specialties and so on yep. but uh so many niches yep uh-huh. and and that's that's kind of where i found my niche in science was mm. was honeybees mm. um and so, yeah, I, I guess I could be a bit biased when it comes to honeybees. You're, but you're making but a very just, good case, though. But like, just, they have a dance. So they have a dance. Yeah, and it's they, have a, a they dance. have a communication dance. A guy like, won a Nobel Prize because uh-huh. of honeybees, you so, know? So, um, and right now, the industry, the, the agriculture, the overall agriculture industry, honeybees are part of a $15 billion industry. Purely just on pollination. Sorry, is that fifteen billion within the U.S. or the world? Within the U.S. Fifteen billion. Wow. Okay. Yeah, within the world, I think it's about two hundred and fifty-four billion. Does dollars. honey taste the same everywhere, or is everybody's it's, honey's different? Tastes different. Every, everyone's honey tastes different. And Guam's own right now is at top ten right now, thanks to Paul Pack beer. Uh, so top ten, uh, good food awards. Have you ever heard of the good food awards? Um, um, it's a it's a global yeah. I guess like a nonprofit uh, mm-hmm. organization. Uh, they collect food from a, a, around the world, and honey is a, is a one category uh-huh. of food uh-huh. um, that. Uh, so the taste of our honey is top ten. Is top ten in the U.S. in the world. What in the world? Oh my god, that's one of my favorite things to do in this podcast is kind of point out. I always say this in every, I think every episode or nearly every every episode, you know, we yeah. always sell ourselves short. We always think we're far behind the rest of the world uh-huh. and we're never going to catch up or anything like that. But there's there's a lot of little things and yep. some not so little things where we're, you know, either tie with the rest of the world or maybe yep. in some cases leading. And here we are, top 10 for like best tasting honey, honey in the world. That's, that's crazy. Right. Yeah. And again, gotta, I got to acknowledge y'all. Uh, Paul Pack Beer from PCR who, mm-hmm. who put Guam on the map for that. So good food awards. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, okay. Cool really stuff. cool. Uh, this episode is not just going to be only on honeybees though. So yeah. we got, we got to talk about wasps. We got to talk about hornet. We can circle back uh, to these or, or if you had anything, to, any thoughts to finish off, it's totally fine. But like, um, uh, no. did you have anything else you want to talk about bees? Well, just, I guess just we to can, finish a thought, we can kind of like go into the, the hornet uh, mm-hmm. segment uh, by kind of, doing one last thing for um talking about one last thing about honeybees so um i got started in 2013 doing this uh survey we found that there were that were that there were mites in our honeybees so so a mite is a very it's a it's a it's not an insect but it is an organism that's very closely related to um kind of bug to closely related to spiders okay so we're talking about like mites spiders scorpions it kind of has its own category of insects uh chelicerata i think is the is the um the order um so so it's a, it's a it's a different branch um but because these mites are a very tiny microscopic organism that sucks on the blood of of honeybees specifically the varroa mite that's what it's called bees have blood okay <laughs> so hemolymph yeah we call it hemolymph but yeah bees do have blood okay uh, but we we call it hemolymph for for that particular reason um in the insect world mm-hmm. um 
But uh, how I wanted to kind of segue into the Hornet aspect is that during my research, during my uh, Honeybee Health survey in 2016, someone reported uh, what they thought was either honeybees um, or some type of wasp. Uh, and it turns out to be the Greater Banded Hornet. Mm. So we can, I can kind of go into the Hornet. So Hornets are... Um, still in the same order as honeybees in the Hymenoptera, same order of ants. Um, that sounds like an Egyptian place or something, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> you understand? Move the mummy. The yeah. Mummy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, that's a Hymenoptera is a, I think it's like a, I think it's like a Greek, there's, it's like a Greek word. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, that, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Hymen. Yeah. So I think it's like a joining, it's like a, like a coupling, uh, word, uh, hymen and then, uh, Terra, uh, hymenoptera, so P-T-E-R-A, that, that last okay. word, that's wings. Mm. So it's a wing coupling. So oh, when, okay. so when uh, hornets and bees and wasps, when they fly, their two wings, their pair of wings actually couple together. Mm. So the forewing and the hindwing are coupled together through this, um, through this structure called hamile. But don't worry, we don't have to okay. go deep into that. But that's why they've been given the name Hymenoptera, because it's a wing coupling insect. Um, and so hornets uh, that fall in the same category, of course, they sting as well. Um, but hornets are carnivorous. Uh, specifically, we want to talk about the greater banded hornet, which okay, is... So, yeah, and so bees, yeah. honeybees, they're, you said they're herbivores, so they only eat plants or plant materials. That's right. And we're talking about hornets now, and they eat meat. They eat meat. Yes, okay. that is right. Huh. They're carnivores. Okay. And they, they're, they eat meat that are basically other insects, Okay, as, as we can just say. Um, like most wasps, or most um, wasps and hornets, mm -hmm. they are carnivorous um, uh, insects. So... They will pray. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because okay. I got, I got, I, you know, I, I roll my eyes a lot of the time, very ignorantly. <laughs> I'm like bees, wasps, hornets, whatever. They're all just these wing things that sting you. But that's already a gigantic difference. Huge difference. Huge yeah. difference. Like herbivores, we got like vegetarians versus people like me. I, I love my barbecue. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, very true. Um, but also, you can already tell the function of what they do in 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 the ecosystem. All right, you're gonna have to help me out. The oh, function. Okay. So, herbivores, mm -hmm. they get pollen, right? So mm -hmm. that that's the only way that they get their protein. So, which means that they are efficient pollinators. Mm -hmm. Carn carnivores. Well, you're not going to see them on a plant material. You're going to see them on flesh. Mm -hmm. You're going to see them on on maybe some other dead rotting material. Mm -hmm. uh, given, yeah, some plants do uh, they do have this uh, attractant for other the Venus flytraps. The Venus flytraps, yeah, yeah, yeah they, uh -huh. it's, it's the flesh, right? Uh huh. But these hornets are not interested in that plant material. Mm -hmm. They're going to go after flesh they're gonna go after other insects mm -hmm. and and in this case the greater banded hornet is coming after our pollinators mm. the honeybees um and the other wasps actually in fact these hornets their prey uh, is uh, are actually wasps and not necessarily honeybees mm -hmm. that is a second preference mm -hmm. But because we're on a small island, very isolated, um, a good we have a good population of wasps, of the type of paper wasps. But then once the food source is running low, they're going to turn to honeybees as a second preference. Mm -hmm. And this is what makes them problematic. Um, not just in Guam, but worldwide. These wasps tend to prey on, on honeybees worldwide. Um, and so... Uh, so that's kind of, again, we're rolling into um, hornets. So mm -hmm. hornets are about two to three times the size of a honeybee. Mm -hmm. um, some of them can get up to four to five times the size. So like that segment of my finger there? Yeah, so about okay. that segment, maybe even a little bit longer mm -hmm. than your than your finger. Um, that segment or the whole finger? A uh, little bit longer than that segment okay. of your finger, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and that will... Um, and you know that's compared to to a honeybee 
you can obviously, you know, tell yourself all well, tell yeah, instantly. Yeah, that who's who's the. I mean, one just one chop. Uh, uh, uh sorry, just one bite mm-hmm. of the hornet will basically chop off the head of a of a honeybee. Uh, uh, do do they do wasps, hornets, and bees? Do they ever bite people, or is it if you get anything from them, it's going to be a sting? It's going to be a sting. Yeah. All right. So, I, but wasps can they'll bite and then they'll sting. So, oh, so, so they can they'll do both. Uh huh. They can do both, kind of like ants. Ants will bite and then they sting. Yeah. Ants have stingers too. Oh yeah, that's 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 what little fire ants are doing to you. They're stinging you with the toxin. Not with the bite, with the sting. I didn't know that. It is the sting that 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 gives off the toxin. So coming from the abdomens Mm. um, of the hymenoptera, the those those ants, wasps, hornets, uh, they are giving the sting. But hornets and ants, they tend to like they like to do to do both biting and stinging. So (sighs) okay, yeah, because they have powerful jaws, mandibles. Mm -hmm. That will that will grab onto its prey, or whatever it may be doing, and then sting. Or me, yeah, <laughs> or you, yeah. I yeah. think I called you one yeah. time or something. I was um, we climbed the southern mountain ridge, and uh, we were coming up the backside of Mount Schroeder or Fina Cresta, and I just got like straight into the back of my calf, and it was Ooh, a sh- sharp, you know, sharp pain, and then a, a burn in the area. It was. It was very. It was tolerable. Yeah. It just. It was. It wasn't enjoyable, obviously. Wow. Um, but I got to look at what it was. It was definitely bigger than a honeybee. But that. I. That's all I could say. That's all I could tell for sure. It was not a honeybee. I can't tell the difference between wasps or hornets. Yeah. In terms of getting stung, is it? Is it? Is it a very? Or is it a very similar uh, toxin or? Yeah. Or poison. So it or... is very similar. Uh huh. Yeah. They do still kind of fall in the same. Uh, toxins category. I mean, at least, at least around, you know, it, it's it's hard to tell. At, mm-hmm. at least in this case, but with with wasps and and honeybees, they definitely have kind of the same uh, the same. I guess you could say say toxicological um, uh, the the chemistry of that of that of that toxin mm-hmm. is very similar. Um, but it's, it's it's initially just the reaction, you know. Your body now starts to well, once the toxin is is been uh, introduced in the body, then we immediately tend to we swell up, yeah. we get become inflamed, and that's just us basically. That's responding. such a polite word. Introduced, just, we're injected, yeah, like we're, we're stabbed. Yeah, yeah. the animal stabs us, you know, with a yeah. part of its body to put that poison. Injects in the toxin, okay. yeah. and then and then our body overreacts to that toxin Mm -hmm. it's not it's not necessarily uh you know it's a foreign body going inside of our of our bodies yeah and so um so the body's initial reaction is now to send all of its you know its uh i guess you could call the the buildup of corticosteroids to fight off that foreign body um and that's why we tend to swell up what are corticosteroids? So corticosteroids are kind of like the in the body when we when we get a bruise or when we uh, um, when we get uh, some foreign body in us, mm-hmm. uh, we react in, mm-hmm. in some way. Or if we get an injury, corticosteroids will get sent to the site where we start to inflame. So the mm-hmm. inflammatory response is due to swelling this yeah is mm-hmm. due to the corticosteroids going to the site of the whether it was a sting or whether it was uh, a brew or that you know if we like broke a you know broke like broke a bone you know, a bone or something mm-hmm. yeah we were our initial response is to swell up at the site mm-hmm. um so so that's that's just the overreaction of our um uh, of our bodies and so that's why when we get stung we swell mm-hmm. yeah that's that's initially what it is All right. so we get okay. stung i you know i grew up like so many of us do and was like okay you got stung you know what you need to do right you gotta pee on it is that true well the <laughs> pee only uh it it only makes the 
the sting less painful, but I mean, it's the same thing you would that use you for said it. All right, so soda. that you heard it right there. You got to pee on it. <laughs> but if you have vinegar or baking soda with water or, uh -huh. I mean, you can even just use water at some times, but uh -huh. water is very neutral. Mm -hmm. Well, you remember that's there's the acidity, right? So if you use like something like baking soda, which is a very basic solution, it'll neutralize the acidity um, at the site of injection. So, yeah, <laughs> I remember when I was a kid. Like now, I don't. I never wear shoes. Um, I just, unless I absolutely have to. I basically wear Zoris. But when I was young enough, when I was really young, I didn't even wear Zoris. I ran barefoot in the backyard until one day I stepped on something and it stung me right in the middle of the bottom of my foot. Ah, and then shit. from then on, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna at least wear Zoris. But um, my older brother is like, all right, go in the shower and you got to pee on it. And then I did. And it actually did feel better. And I don't know if that's, what's what's that word? It starts with an H. Um, histamine? No, P, or, uh, or, uh, placebo. I don't know placebo. if it's, sorry, ah, not H. I see, I see. Yeah, so I don't know if that's yeah. placebo or if that was actual chemistry working. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, it, is it actually chem chemistry? It's, Does it's, it... it's definitely, yeah. I mean, I'd say, yeah, you're, you're, that the chemistry is working because you're balancing out the acid okay. uh, that has been uh, well at least at the site. Yeah, uh, it's not uh, you're not you're not trying to pee into, into your, your own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it doesn't work <laughs> into that your way. little yeah. stab wound. Yeah, but okay. then you do get some acid, and sometimes at times I even I don't get stung, but I still feel the acidity mm -hmm. of some of that venom that comes out of the stinger of the oh. honeybee. So I don't necessarily get stabbed, mm -hmm. but it'll sometimes. Again, it'll it'll itch a little bit because mm. it's the acid, uh, is it's what's making us react. Would you happen to know oh. the pH, or could you guess? Oh man, I f I forgot. If I read it can... in an article once, and I think it's it's definitely about four four below. Okay. Of the acid ac acidity, so, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the pH is it's it's about four four below. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. No worries. Yeah. So, so. How often do you, do people call you if they ever get stung? Yeah, so um, I don't imagine you. They, you're not a doctor, so I'm not so. the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so when, whenever I mean, I've had people call me when they did get stung, and mm -hmm. some of them have had really bad reactions. I have a good friend of mine. He he actually keeps honey. He kept honeybees for about a year, mm -hmm. and uh, he's gotten stung a few times from uh, the honeybees. From honeybees, okay. yeah. And uh, I think his like third or fourth time that he got stung, he got stung right in the forehead mm -hmm. um, and or near like the nose or something. But it was like around the facial area. Mm -hmm. And I think that night he had like hives. He is scratching everywhere. You could see the bumps on his arms. Mm -hmm. He even like video timed me and it's like she's kind of showing me like all of like the hives. And I was like, did you get stung there? He's like, no, no, no. Only one spot, but then he started to over, his body was overreacting. Hmm. Um, and sometimes people develop these, um, these responses, uh, these, these um, inflammatory responses mm -hmm. after four or five stinks. It's not just, you know, it's not, it's not just one phenomena. Or like they, they usually say like, oh, you get stung once, you're okay. But if you get stung like the second time then you're like you know you could really have a bad anaphylactic shock yeah but in crown of the really all yeah it's really all random mm -hmm. to be quite honest yeah if it happens your first time it may not happen your second time um but it may happen like your third or fourth time mm. and it really all depends on one how much of an injection of of the of the toxin did you get into your body mm -hmm. and two uh, did you get stung multiple times at the same site mm -hmm. um so it, it it really falls on that and then of course when you get stung sometimes the stinger is left in for a while <clears throat> and it all depends on that when that stinger is left in your in your body for a long period of time it's actually injecting the toxin so mm -hmm. even when bees in uh, sting you and then they fly off the stinger uh, is still kept into it's still it's still on you. So they right? leave the stinger in and so fly leave away. The stinger in and they fly away, mm -hmm. but they die mm -hmm. because it leaves their stinger. But that stinger is then injecting that venom because it has its own reflex response 
where it uh where so it pumps should you venom. leave it or pull it out but if you pull it out you might squeeze more yes exactly that's why they say you use a credit card to oh. scrape it off right okay. i'm sure i'm not sure if you ever heard of that but i've use heard a of card flicking i've been uh, but yeah. i've i've seen i've heard of you it's like for the marine side of things like the underwater side of things like crown of thorns um, very similar thing. We don't usually think the toxin in there is de is deadly, but if you keep getting stung and you keep getting the, you can actually develop an allergy. That's right. Yes. And so it sounds like a it's similar. It's the same concept. Okay. Yeah. Same then, concept with honeybees. And yeah. then with jellyfish, you know, you can use tweezers to pull it off, or you could use uh, tentacles, the the stinging cells. They're yeah, called yeah. nematocysts. That's or you right. can use a credit card to uh, scrape to that scrape off. off. Yeah. And just yeah, just don't use your bare hands so that you don't sting your hand. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, same concept with honeybees. <clears throat> yep. yep. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay. What else? What, so yeah so, yeah. so I guess we're, because since we're on that stinging aspect, mm. so bees, of course, they'll lose their stinger, fly away, right? But then with wasps and hornets, paper wasps and hornets, they will sting you multiple times. So they can, they have the opportunity to, to inject you in the, their venom multiple times without even losing their stinger. Mm -hmm. So the thing is with honeybees, they have a, a stinger that kind of acts as a, um, uh, like an arrow, you know, where it, it, it you know, you, you get hit with an arrow mm -hmm. and it's hard for you to like, it was like a barb a, shape. Barb. That's okay. what it is. Well, with, with wasps and hornets, they don't have this barb. It's just like a spear. Mm -hmm. So they can sting you multiple times without, without losing their own stinger. And that's how you can tell. That happened to one of my brothers, the same little thing, just like, yep. And, uh, he thought he got, he said he wasn't sure. Multiple bees, right? Yeah. Okay. Or multiple, uh, you know, stinging insects that are like getting at him when it really could only be just one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, some people are even just allergic you know, period. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I think one of my brothers, I have like four or five brothers, something like that. I don't keep an inventory of my brothers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just so many of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he, one of my brothers was allergic growing up. I don't know if he's still allergic, but um, so it's something to, you know, to really keep an eye out. And is that, is there, can, is that something people can do at home? Can I, 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 well, they have, what are those nests and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so that's where we you know we urge the public to give us a call. You mm -hmm. know, if you have a nest at home, um, we'll what be happy number? to. Four seven five pests. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we it, you can either call you know us or you call the your local pest control agency because mm -hmm. those less pest control agencies they you know they have the they I mean they have the the protective gear and all that stuff. Of course, it does come with the price. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, for 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 like, for those who you know can't really afford, uh, we we want to provide the service yeah, for the you community. Can, you can at you least know? have a look, right? Right, have a okay. look and say, you know, here, this is like, what I recommend, or this, and we don't just you know, don't we we give the numbers to all the pest uh, to we give the numbers to the community for all pest control agencies, mm -hmm. not just one particular mm -hmm. one. Yeah. So, um, but with with regards to your number. Four seven five pests, and uh, to the cynics out there and naysayers, I've called it actually multiple times, and people answer. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Um, answer, so I yep. think you guys go out, you know, into the field sometimes, so you don't um, answer like, you know, every single time uh, someone will call. But you know, I, I imagine if someone tries to call a couple times throughout a day, you'll, someone will pick up. A yeah. Phone. Oh, for sure. For okay. sure. Yeah. And and then we'll we'll respond. We have a, a, a trying to get a quicker response time for mm -hmm. for that. Yeah, uh, and, for the most part. And so. on on the note of nests and stuff, I remember we went um, searching for brown tree snakes on Coco's Island, and you're just up there with the flat. You're you know looking up in the we're all looking yeah, up in the trees with right. a flashlight, and you're like, hey everybody, come look at this. This is a nest only for this, and only this kind of thing makes that kind of nest. Yep. And this is how you can tell, and so on. So you can do that at people's houses and yep, and yep. everything. It's a hornet nest. Yeah. Uh -huh. Actually, in fact, it was very surprising to see that because. That's down in Coco's Island, mm -hmm. and we never recorded a uh, Greater Band Hornet. Well, I, I haven't been there, obviously, mm -hmm. but I don't imagine there's many been, other people. That yeah, but they're going down. <laughs> that's true. Know. That's very true. Uh -huh. And so, you know, just seeing that firsthand mm -hmm. was like, wow, I couldn't believe. So, Greater Band Hornet has made it basically it flew its way down to to Coco's Island from Guam. I mean, not that far, mm -hmm. but it's quite a distance still for for you know for hornet yeah i swam that distance one time and like that was long and uh you know 
these things are really small like how much energy do they, they have, have yeah. to like fly what was it a mile and a half yeah, or something like that half. yeah that's um quite significant so it's mm. pretty scary because you know we got other islands that are pretty close by mm -hmm. um so it's only a matter you know could they fly the distance to rota to rota yeah could they fly to you know tinian or uh -huh. agrihan or you know saipan mm -hmm. and that's a uh, one of the big big things is that we we want to be able to monitor that and this is why university of guam and you know department of ag are, are going up we're going up to these islands to make sure that they were controlling one that were you know mitigate the spread mm -hmm. of of these the, of these insects specifically hornets too because mm -hmm. it's a public hazard you know at that point it's a public health uh, concern um that's what i think most people have an interest in is like it's not like okay great another invasive species but you know it's like okay this is an invasive species that can you know hurt my kids like if I, well, I don't have kids right. yet but you know yep. like i grew up you know when we were kids one of my brothers was allergic and you know that could have been a trip to the hospital or worse and uh yep. And so when, you know, you guys have uh, these ads on Instagram or posters around know, like yeah. about uh, unwanted invasive species and blah, blah. And then it's, you know, it's very easy. Uh, you know, I'm sorry. No, no offense to anybody. It's very easy to roll your eyes at these at these kinds of That's things right, yeah. because it's like, what can we do when they're already here? And, you know, we've been talking and there's actually a bunch of stuff we can do. Maybe not full on eradication or maybe down the line, but most importantly prevent things from getting here right. you know these yeah. things that are a threat to ourselves to our kids even to our pets right. um who yeah. some of us very much feel like our, our kids <laughs> yep. yeah i actually have um, a pet right yeah now. and, and yep. you have a pet i have yeah. a pet that mm -hmm. uh that got stung in the eye and is blind completely blind in the on the left hand, oh, yeah, left eye. Dog or cat? Dog. Oh, yeah. that's even worse. It, it, you know, it, sn <laughs> it sniffed around the wrong place, around uh -huh. a bush, mm -hmm. and the, the it just, by pure bad luck, chance, just got right directly in the eye. Well, do you know what it was? That's, uh, that, it, was a, it was a paper wasp. It was a paper wasp? So, Palestis uh, stigma. That's the, so one that sting. the Asian paper wasp. One bite or one, one, one bite and sting? Yeah. Or, and yeah. it, and it's trip to, to the eye. hospital and by that time yeah the acid just i mean it, it was completely covered that like the eye is completely like cataract and yeah. there's there's no reason that yeah. couldn't happen to a, a a person a person too yeah, yeah. so easily happen to a person yeah man i've been stung many times in my life um you know feet hands arms legs yeah I, um but the chances of your eye but the, I mean, the, me oh I got. Yeah. I think I got a little fire ant bite in, the, in my nose one time. This yeah, is such yeah. a sensitive area. Your it face is. is such a sensitive, sensitive. area. Yep. I was cutting a branch off a tree because I wanted to make something. Mm -hmm. And I thought it didn't make any sense in my brain in those microseconds. You know how things go so fast when your yeah. adrenaline starts going. Yep. I thought I actually cut off part of my nose with my machete somehow. And I know that made no sense. And then I, I just realized that some some ants probably that, that fell yeah, off fell of the off tree, the tree. Yeah, and onto yeah, my yeah. face and uh my friend was with me um hi ash <laughs> yeah. um she got a few bites yeah. in the face and her face was swollen too oh, and like if it was just an inch in this direction you know that That's you know right. and it bit my eye i don't know if it, i would cause blindness yeah. one bite from an ant but that would that'd be even worse than yeah. getting bit in the nose exactly yeah. and so just on the note mm. like none of these are native right None of them are native. We have no native wasps, no, no. no native hornets. So they no. all got here some way or another. That's right. Yeah. By accident mm -hmm. from people not um, getting their stuff inspected. That's by right. People, um, people bringing in lots of cargo. You uh huh. Know. You know, we, we don't know how, how it got in, but, you know, containers. And we're back. Sorry about that. The camera overheated, so, <laughs> so we had to take a little break. Uh, we left off with um, all these stinging insects getting here um, by accident because people have it, aren't having their, their stuff inspected properly, and uh, you had a thought. Yeah, and so that, that thought is, well, going, going even further back, um, before invasive species ever became a problem, uh, actually, in fact, all stinging insects on Guam are not native to Guam. Um, so uh so we failed pretty hard so i mean but we've been that, this is including <laughs> honeybees honeybees have 
have been introduced into Guam purposely for pollination. Um, it just, of course, so happens to that they are also part of the singing insect category. But with, again, that they had more of a purpose in the ecosystem or with the farmers than they did with the other uh, invasives. And so, you know, honeybees were brought into Guam along with other honey-producing plants or nectar-producing plants or the plants that produced fruit. Um, and so... Uh, and this was just in 1907. Um, it was along the same time the chain of love was introduced as an ornamental. Um, and now I, we, I think we, I, I think we, we should draw some distinctions <laughs> here. So we have yeah. native species which have either like always been here or were here before humans or brought here That's not right. by humans, and then and then you have introduced plants and introduced plants came here by people and within you can have introdu introduced plants animals or whatever that become a problem and we call those invasive species or you can have introduced plants or animals that really don't have an effect or have a positive effect is that's that, right is that yeah, fair yeah are Which the are honeybees invasive are they a, are they a problem are they introduced and they're not a problem or are they yeah. a little bit of both more one than the other that's right and so this is a very 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 good question that you ask here in other parts of the world, they are very invasive. Mm -hmm. Depending on what species, sub subspecies of honeybees you're dealing with, they are very invasive. Actually, honeybees, um, Apis mellifera, so a, sub a, cert a certain type of subspecies of honeybees is the number one top invasive species in the world. Hmm. It's called Apis mellifera scutellata apis mellifera scutellata is what we call the africanized honeybee hmm. so it is it again it, it is it's a hybrid of the of the apis mellifera and it formed its own subspecies over time by being introduced and so um actually in fact it came from of course from africa so mm -hmm. it's an africanized version of the uh western honeybee Okay. That's what it is. And so um, so it is the very, very most invasive. But around the world. Around the world. Okay. Yeah. On Guam, we have what we call Apis mellifera linguistica. So it's the Italian honeybee. Mm -hmm. It is uh it's not uh invasive because it is doesn't have that aggressive behavior that um that it doesn't have aggressive behavior towards towards uh, other, pollinators. Or other pollinators or other or humans mm -hmm. in general um but because you know they've been out in the wild for for a very long time they they still kind of exhibit this feral behavior but that doesn't necessarily mean they're invasive it all depends on how you look at uh how you look at the ecosystem mm -hmm. if you are a conservationist mm -hmm. honeybees are straight up invasive doesn't matter what species they are. When we define an invasive species, we talk about an organism that competes with man and other native organisms um, in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Well, when honeybees were first introduced, they were going out and pollinating other plants. And in fact, they were pollinating several other native plants. Mm -hmm. Before honeybees were introduced into Guam, we had um, our own native sweat bee, our own native leaf cutter bee, but we don't see them anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's probably likely due to honeybees, hmm. the introduction of honeybees. They were out, they basically, honeybees had outcompeted with the, um, with the sweat bee and mm -hmm. with the leaf cutter bee. Hmm. Why is that? Well, when a species, again, this is all due to competition. Mm -hmm. Competition to acquire uh, pollen and nectar from those, from those flowers. So you're talking about a colonial insect, honeybees, competing against a sweat bee or a leafcutter bee, which is a solitary insect. Mm -hmm. uh, an insect that only lives in one, you know, in, in basically as one individual. Mm. And one individual 
raising young. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can think of this as like a mud dauber that's on your uh, that's on your front porch, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a solitary wasp, as opposed to paper wasps. Paper wasps are colonial wasps, um, which live. You know, it's a colony of insects, which is like about a dozen or more individuals. Um, and so, uh, going back to the the bee world, um, sweat bees. We had a native sweat bee, and we had a native leaf cutter bee uh, that probably no longer exists i haven't i've yet to see one in the environment okay um, um sweat bees probably still exist but in very small pockets of of the island i have yet to see him i see him i've i've seen one in uh in the cnmi so that's further north so so within the marianas islands we do have a native sweat bee mm -hmm. but on guam they were probably outcompeted by honeybees um and uh, and so that study was done back in the early 1930s. I believe 1994 was the last time someone actually had had seen one. Um, but again, this is just according to no. the, the articles here. Yeah. But if you're to go on the conservationist view, mm -hmm. they're considered invasive. Okay. If you look at the uh, farmer view or the um, um, I guess as a as a, a Agri honey producer agriculture, agricultural yeah, view, yeah. yeah, agricultural perspective. No, they are considered a pollinator, and they're not considered invasive. So it really all depends on you know what side you know you're, yeah. you're on at, at this point. No, um, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, so yeah, even me, um, this is stuff I'm learning, and I'm having to digest it. I'm not sure how I feel about all of yeah. it yet, but at it's at the same time. Um, they're doing something. They're doing you know, something. Yeah. They're, they're, yep. they're doing something, and that much is clear. Yeah. It's not like, let's say, for example, brown tree snakes, which contribute nothing and only uh, right, right, and, and only have negative effects. Coconut rhinoceros beetle, you know, or coconut tree, destroyer coconut trees, only having negative effects. So I can see, you know, the the struggle, uh, you know, with right. trying to figure out where what yep. side would we should be on with, it, with honeybees, and and aside from that. You know, you like you said, it's been over a hundred years. That's right. It's, it's been it's over been 100 a hundred years. years. We didn't yeah. know basically anything like ecologically speaking back then. Back then, yeah, we did. And so yep. I'm trying yep. to be forgiving. Uh, not that I have to be forgiving. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I'm agree. I'm trying to you know just look back you know with with, with some mm, generosity okay. and and look to now. So I'm, even though I'm a little sad. I, um, you know, we don't have these native um, pollinators, even though I've never seen them, or honestly even heard of them before. So I'm a little sad. Yeah. But at the same time, um, you know, I can see value with with having honeybees yeah, and still pollinating. Right. Like avocado is not a native species. That's <laughs> right. But, you know, it does something for us. And it's, you know, even I would argue become a mm -hmm. bit of a part of our, our culture, our food culture. That's right. And yeah. so, and, you know, things are always changing. Environments are always changing. Cultures are always changing. One and, thing and, that I have learned in uh, in this in this industry um, of invasive insects worldwide, or even just in the insect world, everything is not all good mm -hmm. and not all bad. There's always a bit of both. Mm -hmm. Like rhino beetle. Rhino beetle. Where is it good? Where is it good? Is there a 1% of good? There's, there is a 1% of good. Uh, well, okay. They're lar the larva uh -huh. stage they're great compost. They're great for for breaking down material for compost. Mm -hmm. But once you get to the adult stage, that's where all the damage is being done by mm -hmm. those adults. But if you could harvest the grubs and you can get the greatest composting you can ever get with those larvae, mm -hmm. with all the larvae. But that's just a tiny percent of it. For farming, yeah, that'd okay. be great. But then once you get to the adult stage... I think stage, that's also that's, a really clear example yeah. of where the bad really, really, really outweighs the good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly right. So that's where there's that... It, it outweighs, yeah, the very good. That's You hit it right on the dot there. <laughs> so with, with honeybees, you know, there's... Yeah, the, now we we've we've have this insect that's been here for over 100 years... There's no turning back. There's no way we're going to eradicate the species, and there's no, mm. there's, uh, there's probably even no way that we can even get that native bee back, mm -hmm. um, just because there's so much competition out there. 
that they easily outcompeted uh, mm-hmm. by honeybees. And so now with an industry on, on Guam developing this like, apiculture industry from five beekeepers to a hundred beekeepers, now we can kind of make something that well that what that we could think considered is is you know we we feel that it's kind of bad you know that they were first introduced wiped out some of our native species but now we have to make the most of what we have here mm-hmm. make the most of the resources that we have here mm-hmm. they're still in the natural environment they're still out there you know out in in the in the jungle so they're you know naturally breeding so we take this natural resource mm-hmm. and put it to our you know to the fullest potential yeah um, and just just to add another dimension to this we talk about uh food sovereignty or you know right. even forget that if we just want to grow more of our own food you know we need something we need some a bit of nature's help and if it's a little bit of introduced nature that's you know, at least we, at least we have that's that. Where the good outweighs that's, the bad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's you... right. <laughs> that, no, and that's exactly right. There's, the, there's always a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of what I learned. I was, I was actually sad to, to know that Apis mellifera is, is partially the, the most invasive insect in the world. And I couldn't believe that. I was like, mm-hmm. before, you know, before I got my degree, I was just like, there's no way like, you know, that's <laughs> such a, you know, it's such a horrible thing to, to feel because, you know, it's something that you've been studying. Mm-hmm. And then you see all these, uh, you know, these, these um, TikTok of the, the, the uh, Texas Bee Works is this girl doing mm-hmm. the, the whole saving the bees and everything. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you see some comments that people make, it's like, you're saving the wrong species. And it makes me sad to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just kind of something that now we, we kind of have to accept. It's here. You know, it's kind of here to stay. Now we're gonna make most of our of our resource, mm-hmm. um, and it's you know, that's just kind of how and that, that's it is, just right? life. You know, it's messy. Mm-hmm. Um, it but is. life is messy, and we it's the yep. world we live in, and we shape it, and we're participating right. in the shaping of things. And uh, yep. you know, it's it's through our actions and our and our words that that things move around or don't move around, and so. All we right. can do is, you know, try to guide things with the with the best intentions and the best actions. And with that, we're going to end this episode. Uh, please uh, shout out your uh, social media handles uh, and the Guam Peaky Peepers Association, Guam Association. And, yep. or anything like that. And yep. uh, 475 Pest for reporting hornets in wasps, wasps. and bees. And then um, a, you, uh, Guam, Ge- Guam Beekeepers Association can also help with that yeah, too. Yeah, uh, we can help with, mm-hmm. um, you know, your, with uh, the hornet eradication. It's your so, contact info. Um, uh, yep, contact info. Uh, so it, again, it could be, again, you could call the 475 Pest um, or you can either call a local beekeeper. Uh, you could call me if, if also, you know, 671-487-1640. Um, Again, I'm happy to give my Are you number. Sure, out. you want to leave that totally, in? Totally, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I've, I've left it out for since 2013. Mm-hmm. I've left it out there, available for the public. Uh, and so, but you know, uh, one thing, the last thing I want to say is, the beekeeping association that has been formed has really helped the community outreach in terms of retrieving bee colonies, and and so it made my my life, my job easier. Uh, at the university and, and here at Department of Ag to to kind of spread the wealth of honeybees that are currently in residential areas mm-hmm. that need to be so they, these are bee colonies that need to be rescued so it's almost like picking a stray dog off the mm-hmm. street and giving them a new home and this is exactly what we're doing for um, for our honeybees. Yeah, when we that last time we met, or one of those first times we met, we literally got those bee uh, bee uh, honeycombs and beehives out, 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 out of a school. Out of a school. Yeah, okay. that's right. All right, Chris, thanks so Thank much. Thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> this was great. Yeah, great talk. Thank you. Thank you All again right. for having, so having us. That was uh, yet another episode mm-hmm. with Chris Rosario here, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>